to come across the mountains again this morning. It's a lovely drive, lovely place, and uh, good to be here again. And yeah, I look at the reporter and I saw that Claire was going to be at Bethany this morning. I thought, well, we must have missed them or something. Because usually if he's going that way, we meet him somewhere on the mountain. Well, we met him out here pretty closely. So uh, Diane went along. I, yeah, I, I, I know because we met him just out here outside of town. <laughs> and so... Uh, think they're taking it a little easier for Diane so that they didn't go to Sunday school and so that's perfectly fine. Now if you were in the men's class uh, I mentioned that I was getting sort of cold feet and I had a chat with one brother after Sunday school to let him know that um, this message was prepared before last Sunday uh, and I actually used this message at, at home last Sunday, so I um, wanted him to be sure that uh, he knew that it wasn't pointed at him, but it might be good for him as well. <laughs> the title is, What Motivates Me? Now, different things motivate me, and it takes a little more to get me motivated now than it did 20 years ago. Um, and that's maybe not all bad. But um, this morning I want to look at a few um, characters in the Bible that what motivated them came, became pretty obvious in some of their responses. And I want to look a little bit at what motivates us as we go through life. Um, you know, it's okay to be motivated as long as you're motivated by the right thing. And I have something different for here than I had for Strasburg because when I was woke up one time last night and this song kept going through my head. So I brought that song along too. I don't plan to sing it, but um, we might have uh, sung it. Well, we, we sing it sometimes at Strasburg, I know. Um, but it might not be quite as familiar. But So what motivates me? And I want to look a little bit at the Jews that pilot, and uh, another one, probably won't turn to a lot of scriptures here. But in John 18, it says this, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall. So why didn't they go? What motivated them to stay outside? What motivated them? Lest they should be defiled. That's what the next phrase says. But that they might eat the Passover. So we're not going in there because it's going to defile us, but we still want to eat the Passover. Now just keep in mind that this is in the process of them having Jesus put to death. But they're still motivated, lest they be defiled, so that they could eat the Passover. And 
next verse says, Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against the man? So what motivated Pilate to go out and wash his hands and, and say, I'm, I'm getting out of this thing. You all do with him what you want. What motivated Pilate? He was worried about his position. Because, see, they told him, if you let Jesus go, you're not a friend of Caesar's. Pilate was motivated, all right, but not by the right reason, not for the right reason. Now, this you won't find in Scripture, I don't think. It's thought that Pilate later committed suicide. Now, was it because of his motivation and the condemning of, innocent, of an innocent individual because of that? I don't know. So why wouldn't they go in? Why wouldn't the Jews go in? See, this was where the Gentiles were. This was where the unclean people were. And so they weren't, didn't want to be defiled. You drop down a couple more verses. Actually, it's in the next chapter. Why, did they, why were they so concerned about Jesus' body being on the cross on the Sabbath day? I mean, they'd already killed an innocent man. Why were they so concerned what motivated them to go and ask for Jesus' body to get it off the cross? Sabbath day was a high day, and they didn't want those bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath. So there was a motivation there. What motivated Judas to betray Jesus to start with? I don't believe Judas betrayed Jesus to get Jesus out of the way. But there was a motivation behind what Judas did. I believe that Judas thought he could get some money and that Jesus would walk out just like he always had. Now, it's you won't find a scripture that says that's why Judas did it. But when Judas realized that Jesus, this was his time and Jesus wasn't going to get out of this, he tried to give the money back. He wanted that condemnation removed. They said, you just take your money and go. We've got what we want. Jesus took, I mean, Judas took his life in his own hands. So let's talk about us today a little bit. What motivated a man that agreed to sell hay for a certain price to sell it to somebody else? Used to work with a man and he uh, was telling me about this, this thing where he had bought some hay and he was making arrangements to go pick it up and he found out the hay wasn't there anymore. 
He hadn't given him any money yet, but he committed himself to get the hay, and the man agreed to have it for him when he was making arrangements to pick it up. Wasn't there. But I'll tell you what sort of shocked me. Well, maybe, I, I don't know if it shocked me, but it caught me off guard. You know what his next statement was? He was a Mennonite. Now, the man knew I was a Mennonite. This fellow I used to work with. I mean, it sort of cut, okay? Now, it wasn't somebody from Southeastern Conference, but uh, at least I don't think so. Nonetheless, it's a, it's a blight because of what motivated that man. See, in other words, the man found out he could sell that hay for more money, and he sold it for more money. Some of you probably wouldn't do this, but what's the motivation behind those that want to fly around the world in a hot air balloon? What motivates those kind of people? And now I, I'm, I know you can say I'm not qualified to speak on this because you're not getting me in a hot air balloon, okay? I, I'm afraid of heights, and I'm just not doing it. Now, my wife might would go in a hot air balloon, but I'm not. And so maybe I'm not qualified to speak on this. So what motivates these people that see a sheer rock cliff and say, well, I've got to climb to the top of that thing? And they get caught halfway up, and then somebody else has to risk their life to go get them down. I love people, but if it depends on me to get them off that cliff, it ain't happening. So, Joe, now you understand why I was afraid maybe you might take them, you know, because... I did think, you know, what in the world motivated Joe to go on that kind of a hike and, and get blisters all over his feet and all that kind of thing? Yeah, and, and that's what somebody told me. I, I was verbal with that, with that question someplace, and they said, well, that was quality time with your boys. I, you know, excuse me, Joe, but I'm going to have some different kind of quality time with my boys than walking 60 miles in the mountains. And I'm not, I'm not condemning Joe. I think it's great to go hiking. I enjoy getting out in the woods, but a good hike in the woods is about 75 feet, <laughs> not 60 miles. And so uh, I just wonder at people's motivation. So what motivates people to buy lottery tickets? Dollars and cents, right? And the unfortunate thing is a lot of the people that buy lottery tickets don't have the money to buy lottery tickets because they don't even have money to buy food. Now they can, well, I won't go there. Um, they can uh, buy lots of other things that aren't necessary. And a lot of the times when they get to the end they're worse off than they were when they spent those dollars for the lottery ticket. 
because they don't know how to handle the money. What motivates people? So those are some things that maybe we wouldn't do. What motivates me to tell people about my accomplishments and abilities? What's the motivating factor? I uh, am aware of a case where um, somebody had their fine house and they would change the decor every year or so and then they couldn't figure out why people didn't do and all over their house. Um, nobody here in Highland County, okay. Um, but what motivates people? What's the driving force behind a lot of these things in life? Now, I'm a member in some chat groups, okay? Our family has one. Uh, our ministry at Strasburg has one. And, uh, and I'm not anti-chat groups, okay? But I told the congregation at Strasburg, you know, if there's a request that comes to a chat group for prayer, I'm not going to reply on the chat group that I'm praying for you. And lest they think that I'm not praying, I let them know if I'm going to tell anybody that I'm praying for somebody, I'm going to do it personally. You don't need to know about that. Now, if you do, that's fine. I'm not saying you have a wrong motive. That's just the way I operate. Now, I do reply to some chat groups, and well, I, I shouldn't call them chat groups, okay? Because <laughs> Strasburg Ministry don't just get on there and chat, okay? We, but I, I do because of the nature of it. I'll reply to that because it's something that needs the interaction of the whole group. So I'm not anti-social groups or chat groups. But I do know that a lot of stuff on some of these chat formats are to paint a beautiful picture of something that's not very pretty. I mean, I've seen, I've seen um, pictures of people that you would think they're the happiest people in the world only to find out in a few weeks they're divorced and gone somewhere else because they put on a front. What motivates that? So just in case you don't get where I'm going, a lot of times what motivates us would not motivate us if somebody else wouldn't be looking on and seeing what's going on because we want to paint a good picture of ourselves to other people. That's a lot of time what motivates human beings, okay? And I told Joe that I was going to assume the good in the motivation that he received for that trip. And I, and I am, okay? I'm not just going to, I am, all right? 
What motivated a mother with three girls to go and pick up sticks for an older lady when the mother had plenty of other things to do? And yes, that happened here a couple weeks ago or a week ago. You see, we had um, probably experienced some of that storm you talked about, Joe. And we were without electricity last Friday and Saturday for about 30 hours. And we live in town. And so there was tree damage and trees down and so forth. I think the motivation that that mother had was noble. She wasn't doing it for recognition. She didn't get on some chat group and say, hey, I'm going to go help take my girls and go over here and do this, and I've got all this stuff i got to do at home. No. I, have, I wrote down a verse that Jeremy used in the opening. I want to make sure I recognize why I wrote that verse down. Um, yeah, 1 Peter 4.11 says this, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. The last part of that verse says that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whatever we do, whatever motivates us needs to be to bring God glory. End of story. Need to rough these pages up. Continuing on a little bit. So, what motivates me to get in the shortest line of traffic at a traffic light or checkout line? Maybe for me, it would be what motivates me to go through the self checkout line. I don't want to be in there very long, and so. I love going through the self-checkout line. I can get in there and get it and go. Uh, uh, some people don't feel that way. But why do I, what motivates me to do that? Why do I look, scan down there if there's no self-checkout line and go to the line that's the shortest? And I know one thing that I used to more than I do now if I pull up to a traffic light and there's two lanes of traffic and there's a truck over here and there's cars over here, I'll get in the line with the cars because I don't want to be held up by that truck. i got news for you. A lot of times you're going to lose ground in that line of traffic instead of getting behind that truck. Because you see when that truck moves, it moves the area of about three cars and it takes a good while for those three cars to decide it's time to go from a traffic light. Because I, some, you know, texting and driving is not legal, but somehow it's okay to sit at a traffic light and text, and they don't know the traffic light's turned. I've seen people set totally through a left turn green arrow. They were in the line to make a left turn, they got a green arrow, and they sat there through the whole light. Now, 
yeah, I think I'm saving time. I want to use my time well, so I want to get in the fastest line so I can get to where I am. Why do people constantly change lanes in heavy traffic? To get ahead, right? You know, that doesn't work very good either all the time. I remember coming around Washington, D.C. one, excuse me, one time, and all the lanes were full, moving slowly, and this one vehicle was constantly changing lanes to get ahead. You know how many times I passed that vehicle coming around D.C.? Eleven times, and I stayed in one lane. I passed him eleven times, or her, I don't know who was driving it. So a lot of times in our effort to get ahead, motivation to get ahead, we're really not helping ourselves. Now you might say this next one is, why do you ask such a question? Why do you let others go first? I saw a puzzled look on somebody's face. Why do you let others go first? Well, I, I heard one motivating factor when we were coming in from Sunday school. Didn't I hear the song, J-O-Y, J-O-Y? Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. That's a good motivation. Have you ever been motivated to let others go first so if somebody think well of you for letting them go first? What motivates us? In Matthew 6, Jesus says this, and this is in response to why do I pray the way I do? And let me just say here, I don't hear it as much as I used to, but when I was a young fella, I used to wonder at some of the, the length of some of the prayers in public. Uh, there were some that would pray, that would pray for a long time in public. And I'm not anti-praying, okay? This is what Jesus says, when you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, and they are, that they may be seen of men. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that those that I heard as a younger person were motivated by the wrong reasons. But I just wonder sometimes at lengthy prayers when we see this. Now, there I say this. Rodney had a, had a list this morning, and he would have been amiss if he would have skipped over any of them. So I'm not referring at all to Rodney's prayer this morning. I don't, it wasn't very long anyhow, but I just, that's not what I'm talking about. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And that is, they've been seen and heard by men. That was what motivated them. When thou prayest, enter into thy, thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, in secret, which is in secret, 
and the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So I guess that's been one thing that's motivated me not to respond on group texts. And that is, not everybody needs to know that I'm praying. God knows. And if I feel like it's necessary, I'll reply to the individual. James says this, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I want to read a few verses from 2 Corinthians 5, where it says this, We do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. Verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So in the beginning here, Paul is saying, it's not up to you to toot your horn. Let somebody else toot it. It's, um, remember, and I'm not sure I can get it verbatim, but I think it comes pretty close to it, uh, where it talks about, um, blessed is the man that tooteth his own horn, for if he tooteth it not, it shall not be tooted. Uh, that's not a proper motivation. If your horn needs to be tooted, let somebody else toot it. We do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. So what does that mean that they knew Christ in the flesh? We're not to regard others in the flesh. And I want to read what another version says on that. Um, now we, now, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So we didn't know Christ or Christ has never walked the streets of McDowell, okay? In a physical way. So you didn't know him like the ones that wrote scripture knew him. They brushed shoulders with him. They knew him now as their savior, the one that had died for them. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that Christ, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, 
not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We're to present Christ's gospel through our daily lives. You notice what, and I skipped over this verse, and I shouldn't have because it's basically where it comes from. In verse 14, it says, the love of Christ compels us. That's your motivating factor. The love of Christ working in my heart, reaching out because of his love for me. Two more verses yet from 2 Corinthians. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, talking about Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God in him. The love of Christ compelling us, motivating us to present God to others. I want to look a little bit in Acts 20, and this gives a picture of the, the motivation behind the Apostle Paul. Uh, Acts 20, verse 18, when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we could say, if, if J.P. Campbell would have said those words, it would look like I was setting myself up on a pedestal, right? That's not the way I see Paul saying it here. He's pointing out what he did. I served God out of humility. I bore you on my heart through trials and tears. I kept back nothing that was helpful. And he said, verse 22, Now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul said, I've poured out my heart for you. And yet, I'm told, regardless of where I go, chains and afflictions are mine to bear. So what motivated him to keep on going? Verse 24 says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He said, I'm not backing off because of that. And you go over in Philippians 3, Paul looking at his course of life, he said that I have some rights. Maybe I'll turn to Philippians 3 just a little bit here. Um, 
And in the early in the chapter, he, he gives them some warnings. Verse 3, it says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, I'm not doing this because of me, because of Paul. Even though he could have. And then the next verses, he goes into how he could have. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm better than that. If that's where I'm going to put my confidence, if that's where my motivation comes from, I can top them all. Basically is what he's saying. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He could have ridden on his own coattail, right? No. He said, I've got the right pedigree. I followed the law. I'm from the right race, the right religion, and I was zealous. And I lived up to the law. He goes on and says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness or my own motivation, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. Here's his motivation again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And then we could read on. He said, I haven't arrived yet, but I'm pressing toward that goal. I want to read this song, and I, uh, I knew I could find it in the songbook, but I looked up the lyrics of this song, and I'm glad I did because it has some different verses than what I was used to singing. And I didn't analyze it real closely yet to see if one of them is just edited or if there is um, actually six verses to the song. But the song is this. Not I, but Christ be honored, loved, exalted, not I, but Christ be seen, be known, and heard. Not I, but Christ in every look and action. Not I, but Christ in every thought and word. Verse 2, not I, but Christ to gently soothe in sorrow. 
Not I, but Christ to wipe the falling tear. Not I, but Christ to lift the weary burden. Not I, but Christ to hush away all fear. You catch the motivation here? I'm not lifting the burden. I'm not soothing the sorrow. I'm not wiping the tear. I'm not carrying the burden and wiping the fear away. But it's Christ doing it. And I can be motivated to be a help in that. Verse 3, Christ, only Christ, no idle word e'er falling. Christ, only Christ, no needless bustling sound. Christ, only Christ, no self-important bearing. Christ, only Christ, no trace of I be found. Verse 4, not I, but Christ in every need supply, my every need supply. Not I, but Christ, my strength and health to be. Christ, only Christ, for spirit, soul, and body. Christ, only Christ, live then thy life in me. Christ, only Christ, ere long my, will fill my vision. Glory excelling soon. Full soon I'll see. Christ, only Christ, my every wish fulfilling. Christ, only Christ, my all in all to be. Now, there's a verse that we, that's in the life songs that I didn't find in those five verses. And I'll read that one. Not I, but Christ in lowly, silent labor. Not I, but Christ in humble, earnest toil. Christ, only Christ, no show, no ostentation. Christ, none but Christ, the gatherer of the spoil. Now, I knew there was a verse missing because that word ostentation uh, stood out to me years ago when we sang that song. Can somebody tell me what ostentation is? A show? Okay. Uh, I looked up the definition, and that's, that's basically what I was told earlier, and it's still, this doesn't disagree with that. But the definition that showed up when I did some checking was pretentious or vulgar display, especially of wealth and luxury. Putting it out there on display. Look what I've got. Intended to impress or attract notice. Christ, only Christ, no show, nor all of this. Christ, none but Christ, the gatherer of the spoil. And I didn't know that there was a refrain to this. This is what the refrain was printed there. Oh, to be saved from myself, dear Lord. Oh, to be lost in thee. Oh, that it may be no more I, but Christ that lives in me. That was written by an Ada Whittington back in 1891. So what motivates me in life? What motivates you in life? And I trust that your motivations are noble and constrained by the love of Christ.
I'll turn the time back to Brother Bradley.